Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, I'm Joe Donoghue uh, and I'm joined today by two Scouted veterans. Uh, we are rejoined by Phil Costa and it's a Scouted Podcast debut for Lou Davies. Uh, gentlemen, how are, we, how are we doing today? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks, mate. It's always nice to be back on here. So we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll get to some good conversation. Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. It's good, good to make my debut finally. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, we've got two Arsenal men on here today, uh, and obviously after the the bit of the shambles uh, on Sunday, giving up that two goal lead, I was uh, I was expecting a bit more of a sombre preamble today. But you know, you're both sounding quite chirpy. You're both sounding as though you know you're you're not too despondent over it. But um, a bit tense that we're going to talk about the Champions League. Obviously, not uh, not involved this year, but plenty of interesting teams are, plenty of interesting players are. But I mean. Just, just very briefly, I know that you're pretty much on the same page, but Mr Unai Emery. Well, I'm just completely apathetic to Arsenal at the moment. I think it's just, there's no plan, no structure, no coherent anything, no coherence at all. So I sort of just can't be bothered with it. I think the main point under what made us so bad to watch in the later Wenger years was that there was nothing. It was just sort of 11 players on the pitch. We'd lose somewhere. And, you know, we'd do it again the week after. And what I wanted in the next appointment was just something to get behind and believe in. And there are some young players that we can really push on with now. But when they're all on the pitch together, it's just a, a sham. And, you know, it's just taken all the enjoyment out of watching Arsenal for me because we're just so bad to watch. There's no excitement or expansive play or anything. So, you know, the... Whether it whether it stays like this, I don't know, but I think he's got a, a big few weeks coming up because we know now with the hierarchy, they don't wait around. So it will be interesting to see, but uh, for sure he's 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 on borrowed time. The the thing that struck me was uh, the the Opta stats that came out after the Watford game, and it was after the first five games, Arsenal had uh, conceded <laughs> ninety six shots, which was twelve more than Derby County did in two thousand seven two thousand eight, which is I mean. Oh, I... it's beyond ridiculous yeah everybody always tars any team with the oh you don't want to be that Derby County from 2007 <laughs> but I mean to concede more shots already it's just it, it, it beggars belief really um, anyway um, enough about Arsenal I'm sure we'll have an Arsenal special episode at some point in the future because there's plenty of prospects coming out of Hale End at the moment which is a positive but uh, we do have the Champions League which is starting and yeah, it's one of the more interesting uh, group draws uh, because it's thrown up quite a few interesting, interesting groups. I mean, Lou, do you want to do you want to get us kicked off with with one that that you kind of have your eye on? Uh, yeah. So the one I I haven't actually paid much attention to the groups before today, so I'm sort of new, like looking at the actual makeup of the groups now. But the one that really stands out to me is probably Group E with Liverpool, Napoli, uh, Red Bull Salzburg and KRC Genk. That is a genuinely stacked group. It has so many young talents from people who are like already established and to others who are just coming up. So it's like a really diverse group of like really interesting young players and as well as that styles as well. You have the pressing with Liverpool, Napoli and Ancelotti, Salzburg as well, and the Jesse Marsh with like high pressing and young players, direct football, but still measured football as well. So it's just really good. Yeah, I mean the the way that Salzburg has started the season with uh, in in the Austrian Bundesliga, just absolutely hammering teams. I mean, you look at their expected goals per game. You look at the, the actual the goals they do score per game. And it is just all out attacking, and yes, that is probably because there's a there's a golfing class there in that division. But I think they have the potential to surprise quite a few people uh, in the Champions League this season. Uh, I think they play Genk in their first game. I think they could really take them to task because if they're not careful, they are going to get steamrolled by by the players and and, and the system and, and the high pressing that that Jesse Marsh has at his at his disposal. Yeah, that's. Essentially, so Genk are actually quite good themselves. They're not some sort of rollovers because they're obviously Belgian champions. But even so, Salzburg are just, they have so many 
little pieces across the pitch that can just attack goal, create chance. Like Haaland, Haaland is absolutely unreal. I've lit one of the one of my favourite young players at the moment. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, Phil, you'll know a little bit about uh, Haaland uh, because. I mean, obviously, you'll have seen him on the account and stuff. We we do kind of turn it into a fan account at times, but also because your your closeness to to the Bundesliga and to German football. I mean, are you hearing any murmurings over there that you know Leipzig are considering making moves or or people are starting to sit up and take note of of Erling Haaland? I mean, I think that's the the natural progression, isn't it? When you're coming from from Salzburg, you always look at Leipzig as you know they're not officially the feeder club, but you've seen over the years all the all the talent makes its way over there eventually. Um, you know we've, we've had Nabi Keita, uh, Amadou Hadara. You know there's there's all these guys. Just just watching him, he's genuinely a physical freak. Um, it's you know we we posted a clip the other day on on our Twitter account of you know some brief highlights of him, and he, he's just all limbs. Um, his arms and, and legs, he's just a massive man. But when you actually watch him, he's got a, a decent touch. You know, he's actually quite intelligent on the ball as well. He's he's always aware of what's going on around him. And um, I, what I absolutely love is how he finishes as well. There's no hesitancy or, you know, he's he, he never overthinks things. It's very Jamie Vardy-esque. He just gets the ball and slams it into a corner or into the roof of the net. And I absolutely love that. So... There's definitely a buzz around him now and people are obviously taking note and it's interesting to see what happens with, with Timo Werner next summer because I know he signed the contract recently, which was a bit of a surprise, but there's talk of it maybe having a, a 30 million release clause included. And I think the very logical step for, for him is is buy-in and then you know they lose a supreme goal scorer um, in Team Havana and then there you go the gap opens up for, for Haaland um, but I think that the season he'll have at, at Salzburg will definitely help him and leave him in good stead for the future Yeah I mean that that Leipzig progression is as you say it's, it's a well trodden path it's been purported by a lot of people just speculatively on Twitter saying oh you know when's he going to go to Leipzig and for me personally I thought he'd go at the end of this season and then work his way into the team but the way that he started this year it, you would not be surprised to see him move in January because he has a full season in the Austrian Bundesliga he could quite conceivably score 30 to 40 goals if he continues at the same rate which he, he shows no sign of letting up I mean against Hartberg at the weekend three goals two assists I mean it's just it's obscene and, and on this episode, we are going to answer a few questions that some of our followers have sent in. Thank you very much for those. Uh, a lot of the questions, understandably, were uh, on Erling Haaland, with a few people questioning where he's going to end up, where do we see him uh, in the future. But yeah, there's um, there's definitely intrigue about where he's going to end up in the long term, not just Leipzig, because you don't get the impression that that's, that's it for him. You, you think he, he, could go, he could go further. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yes, we will get on to uh, Erling Haaland uh, a lot more in, in those questions section. Uh, but yes, also in that group, we have KRC Genk, as you uh, alluded to, Lou. And yeah, they're not a team who are going to roll over. They are, they're there on their own merit. They're the Belgian champions. However, there are caveats to that because as with any team that does well in the uh, Belgian Pro League, they are going to be harvested for their best players by teams in Europe's top five leagues. That has happened uh, this season. Malinowski and Joseph Aidu both have been poached. They've, they've lost they've lost key components of their side. And yes, they've recruited reasonably well and they've kept hold of players like Sanderberg and Samata. And they've just recently signed uh, Paul Onoachu from, I think it was Nordzieland, who is just a, I mean, I think he's six foot six. So he's, he's quite a presence up top. But they are one that should be watched as well. But I think with the strength of Liverpool and Napoli, the Europa League spot really is going to come down to, to Salzburg and Genk. Uh, yeah, so Genk have quite a few, even though that they've lost quite a few players, they've still retained a few and they've added a few as well. I think uh, Theo Bongonda, one of the forwards, he's one of the more interesting recruits they got in from Zulte Varechem. 
And he's one who's actually went to Celta Vigo before, didn't really make the cut, played played quite often, but returned back to Belgium. He's really kicked on again now. I think he had something about 15 goal involvements in last season in the Jupiler Pro League, so that's not bad. Yeah, and they've also signed uh, Yanis Haji, who we spoke about on the uh, the first episode of this pod, uh, who, again, was fantastic at the under-21 Euros, uh, has been good for Romania uh, in the games that he's played uh, over the international break, uh, created seven chances, a lot of which were from set pieces, but he was still showing uh, quite a lot from um, from midfield, trying to play those ambitious balls through to the wingers to, the, to then cross into players like George Puskas. Um but yeah, they do have players like Yanis Haji, Sander Berg, um, and Jochen Meiler, the, the 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 right back who who also doubled as a right wing back for Denmark at the under twenty one Euros as well. They do have a lot of individual talent there, and if they can get it into a cohesive unit, I think they, they you know they'll do well this season in the in the Belgian Pro League. They haven't started great, but they will grow and do better because as with any team where there's been a lot of incomings and outgoings it's going to take some time to settle. Uh, we've seen that with Anderlecht as well. But I think Genk should also be considered. That I don't think there is a weak team in, in Group E uh, because, yes, Liverpool and Napoli are the two gargantuan sides compared to Salzburg and Genk, but then neither neither are going to roll over. They're going to play their style of football. And, yeah, they might be put to the sword by the stronger sides, but I'd rather that as a fan of those as a fan of youth football as a fan of those clubs I'd rather that than them trying to implement some sort of deep block which is not going to work you have you have to go out and play football in my opinion and you know what they might snatch a lucky result somewhere look at uh, Red Star Belgrade last year you never know and another group that that looks really interesting actually is is group G with Zenit, Benfica, Lyon, and RB Leipzig. You know these are these are teams that we sort of know quite well, having covered them for the last uh, few years. And you know even just across the board, I mean, you you look at Benfica and they've got the the usual suspects. They've got Ruben Diaz, Ferro in defence, Alex Grimaldo, Jensen Fernandez, and then you then there's some other good talents coming through like Jota and Nuno Tavares. So they're going to be quite an interesting side to watch and maybe they never quite fulfill the potential in in Europe but maybe it could be different this year with with a nice young core coming through but then you look across at Lyon under under Silvino and there's you know Hussein Awa, Moussa Dembele, you know Joachim Anderson as well who who joined from Sampdoria over the summer and his he's had a nice impact there and then even even across you know again you look at RB Leipzig, who who are famed for for bringing through young talent, and this list is just endless. Uh, I mean, there's Ibrahima Konate, uh, Timo Werner, Christopher Nkunku, Haidara. You know, it's just these are really interesting groups that might not have any of the big boys, but it's four evenly matched sides. Who it's a bit of a lottery who could get who could get through. You know, and this is what makes football exciting. Um, and I kind of love that because, you know, you look at the rest of the groups and you think, well, you know, there's two teams that are probably going to get through from here. But you genuinely look at these four and you think this is evenly matched and anyone could be anyone. So um, I'm not sure if you guys have any players that you want to watch, but I think this is a nice, really well-rounded group and it could be one that uh, we really keep our eyes on. Uh, yeah, so one of the teams that I'm particularly looking forward to watching is probably Olympique Lyonnais under Silvino. I think the start of the season has been a bit indifferent. It's not been great. Obviously, a few bedding in problems with the new coach and the switch from Bruno Genesio. But even still, the their squad is still pretty good. From back to front, It's I think Moussa Dembele is one to really watch this season. He had a good season last season, but I think as we said on the on the Twitter account the other day, that if he isn't in the Euro 2020 squad, regardless of how Deschamps is so stubborn in his ways, I will be a bit surprised and a bit upset that he isn't there because I think he's one of the best young strikers around at the moment for the way he not only finishes chances, but constantly creates shots for himself, gets into really good positions in the box, can finish off either foot 
he's just I think he's one of the more interesting players not only in Ligue 1 but in the Champions League this season to follow yeah I mean now the fact that that Lyon are unburdened by Bruno Genesio to to, for want of a better term you do have to start looking at those players like Moussa Dembele who you know has been doing it for consistently season after season building his way up you know he's come from the championship Scottish premiership uh Liga and now he's I mean he has a platform with this group to really score some goals on on the Champions League stage uh, I mean you look at the the, all, the the other striking options around him and one that really strikes me uh is Amin Guriri who obviously had, uh, had a I think it was a cruciate ligament injury at the beginning of last season, which could potentially have been his breakouts, breakout year. So that was a bit cruel on him. But alongside the likes of Memphis Depay, Martin Terrier, Bertrand Traore, you know, there's a real chance for, for Dembele and Guriri to, to leave an impact, especially on this group, and make a good run of, of this Champions League um, campaign. Because as you were saying, Phil, this group is anyone's guess. There are so many players who who don't who do not have Champions League experience. They don't know what to expect, but I think that adds to the intrigue of it because they're not going to go out there and play with oh play you know we're going to oh, play too fearful, be showing too much respect to the opposition. They're four relatively evenly matched sides: um, Zenit, Benfica, Lyon, Leipzig. It's one which you know oh, you're not going to actively go out of your way to watch it if Real PSG's on for example but I, I think if, if you if you're into youth football then you definitely should because it's it's plausible that at least a third maybe even pushing to a half of the pitch are going to be players under the age of 25 24 23 so yeah I mean even Benfica they could quite conceivably start their games with an all under 23 back four with Nuno Tavares Ruben Diaz Ferro Alex Grimaldo all four who, who would start on merit as well. They're good defenders, and it's definitely one of the more exciting groups from from a from an under twenty three football perspective for definite. No, absolutely, and I think as well there's a there's a real nice French flavour to the group. I mean, that's not a surprise with with their talent pool uh, at the moment currently probably being the most exciting across Europe, uh, maybe in, even in the world as well. Um, and I really have a soft spot for Hussein Malwa. I think he's a a gorgeous midfielder, you know, so silky on the ball, so technically secure. Um, and he sometimes he, he has a tendency to fade in games, but I really think Europe is a good stage for him. Um, and even Christopher Nkunku as well, who's slowly making his way in at Leipzig. I think he's a really underrated footballer. And I thought PSG were quite strange to, to let him go with their depth issues at the moment. I think he knows where the goal is. He can play in a variety of positions, which Julian Nagelsmann absolutely loves. Um, and even the two boys at the back as well, uh, Konate and I know Upa Meccano hasn't played much this year, but he's an absolute monster. And and those two together could prove to be a real force. Coming back to a point that Phil just made about Hussein Mawar, I think he's got to really have another, almost like another breakout season again. Because obviously two seasons ago that was when he really pushed on he found a really niche role as some sort of a needle player from deep where he could receive the ball in deep midfield and progress it through lines with like really nice precise passing he can really mobile under pressure and he can even get into the box to score a bit but I think almost he sort of stagnated somewhat especially last season he obviously had those really good performances in the Champions League, but in domestic competition, I think he sort of just remained at the level that he was at two seasons ago. So it will be really interesting to see how he performs this season, especially in the Champions League. And also, uh, Leon have added Jeffrey Adelaide from Angers. He'll be another interesting player to follow in midfield for Leon, which is quite stacked, really. Just adding to that that point about the the French flavour, it is. I mean, it's no surprise with Lyon being there, but RB Leipzig also have that that French core, as you've already mentioned. The Upamecano, who's yet to play this season, uh, Ibrahima Konate, Nordi Mukiele. Um, they've got quite a good few French players there who have have had minutes at under twenty one youth international level and stuff, um, but also Leipzig have Ademola Luckman and Ethan Ampadu as well who are there. And with a, a busy schedule, 
uh, of you know one game on a Tuesday, one game on a Sunday, one game on a Wednesday, whatever. There, there are going to be opportunities there, and for for a manager like Nagelsmann, I imagine he's going to be quite keen to to blood these players and just try them out. And it's not like, as we've been saying in this group, it's not like there is a, a dominant force in there. So there's there is definitely scope to to give minutes to these to these kinds of players and. I'd love to see the likes of Luckman and, and Ampadu in the Champions League. And I'd especially love to see Adamola Luckman do well in, in the Champions League, even if he's just getting cameos. I'd love to see him do well there. I think there was a lot of bluster about why he left Everton and, and why he wasn't getting played at Everton. And I mean, a lot of that was down to Sam Allardyce and just him being stuck in his ways. And a lot of was made about his attitude. But I think it says a lot about a young a young English player that wants actively wants to go out to Germany because he knows he's going to get football there. And you know what? Fair play to him. He's playing at RB Leipzig. He's probably going to get Champions League football. Fair play to the lad. And I, I really, really hope to, to see him do well. And I hope to see Ampadu get minutes. I mean, Lou, you, you, being our resident Welshman, you'll be over the moon that you know Ampadu is working under a coach like Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think... Even if he doesn't play that much this season, I think the actual experience of moving to a different country, different culture, different coaching setup, especially after a year under Maurizio Sarri at Chelsea, where everything could be a bit stagnant and a bit stale, I think should do him the world of good, really, regardless of his minutes. So he'll be really interesting to see how he comes back next season and whether he can either break into Chelsea under Frank Lampard or he can find another move for himself. So, yeah, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about how his season will go. We, we've left arguably one of the more interesting groups uh, to, to last, but it is the last group, Group H. That in, includes Chelsea, Lille, Ajax and Valencia. And there are quite a few interesting storylines in this group. So, of course, you've got Frank Lampard in there. The average age of Chelsea and Lille's goal scorers um, so far in, in the Premier League and Liga in this season are the two youngest uh, in, across the 98 teams in, in the Europe's top five leagues, um, which for them to be paired together in a Champions League group is, is exciting, it's interesting. It throws up all kinds of scenarios. You know, they've got players who are really having their, their breakout season at the top level um, after coming off the back of very good seasons in lesser divisions. So the two just off the top of my head, Tammy Abraham and Victor Osimhen uh, at Chelsea and Lille respectively. Fantastic. I, I really, really rate Tammy Abraham. Always have done. We've spoke about him on a previous pod. Um, but Victor Osimhen, someone we've, we've, we've observed from afar in Belgium last season. She scored a lot of goals, but has really hit the ground running um, with Lille this year. I was just wondering if either of you guys had, had seen any of, of Osimhen and, and what can we expect from him? Osimhen is actually someone that I've been following quite closely throughout the season, especially after the start he's had. I think he's had five goals in five appearances, two braces. So he's one that's really caught my eye, not least for his goal scoring, but f- just for the way that he works across the defences. So he's not, he's not a, just a poacher. He's a bit more than... You're just a goal scorer. He can attack space from deep. He can slide across the defenders and really uses his physique and frame and size to make make room for himself, make room for others, hold up the ball, dump it off. I think he's just a really dynamic striker who can, I think he could have a breakout season in the Champions League this season. He'd be one, especially with Lille, they'll be one to follow. I think Christophe Gauthier deserves a lot of credit because, you know, they lost Nicolas Pepe, they lost Raphael Leal, who were two massive players for them last year. Um, not just goal scoring uh, on a goal scoring level, but creatively as well. I mean, Pepe was a was a chance creation machine last year, and those two went out for a lot of money. And usually, that sees Liga and teams depreciate pretty quickly. But you know, they brought Osimhen in. And uh, Jonathan Bamba has really stepped up alongside Jonathan Ikone. And they're a really exciting side. And not many people know uh, a lot about them, but I think they could surprise uh, some teams this year. And even if they don't get through the group, um, I definitely think they could do some damage in the Europa League for sure. 
you look at their front four from last season and they were really exciting. They were really interesting. Um, in the UK, they were always on BT Sport on, on a Friday night. So I was always catching those games. Um, but yeah, that front four of Pepe, Leao, Ikone and Bamba, they were brilliant. They were so exciting to watch. They were so in tune and in sync with each other. Um, but yeah, this season, without Leao, without Pepe, you did question, well, you know, are they going to be all right in the Champions League? But Osimhen just really hit the ground running, as we've already said. And we're forgetting that, you know, that there are still players in reserve there, like Luis Arajo, um, Timothy Weir, who's obviously injured at the moment. Um, but also players that they brought in, like uh, Benjamin Andre from, from Rennes, who's going to help with uh, chance creation from, from deeper. And, um, and even Renato Sanchez, who has been flying under the radar at Bayern for, for so long, obviously had a bit of a tough time there, but I think Lille could be a good platform for him to resurrect his his career in a sense, because he was unfairly billed as you know the next big thing two, three years ago. But I think he was never really destined for that top level. I think he's destined for a good level, a Europa League, Champions League level. So I think Lille is a good environment for him where there's not going to be too much uh, expectation of him, but as a team, they they could spring a few surprises. Um, I think that as you were saying, Phil, I think they will definitely make a good run in the Europa League if if they finish third in the group, which I think is probably uh, a likely eventuality. But you know what? Just like the previous group we were talking about, there's no real big hitter in this group either. So it's anyone's guess, really. I think something to pick up on with Lille as well. It's they obviously have the the, the attacking quality with the front four with Osimhen, Ikone, Bamba, but they've also got quite a young defense which is also really competent. So they have Domagoj Bradaric at left back, another guy that they've brought in that Luis Campos has brought in this past summer after they sold Fode Balotore and Yusuf Kone and a year ago and in January. He looks like a really dynamic left-back who can create chances with crosses. I think he's set up quite a few for Osimhen already with his delivery from the left. So he's he'll be interesting to follow. They also have uh, Mehmet Zekicelik at right-back, another Turkish young defender who's coming through at a decent level. He looks similar to Bradrich, quite competent defensively, good going both ways, can attack, can defend, can help pass in transition and one of the more interest well, one of the most interesting defenders for me that they've brought in this past summer again in the deal when they sold Rafael Leao to AC Milan is um Thiago Giallo he's 19 Portuguese one of the players who actually left Sporting CP last season for AC Milan and he looks like an absolute stud I think Really uh, strong, tall, physical, can cover space in behind him, can cover lateral laterally as well. So he'll be much like Bradrich and Celic. He'll be another one to follow. And of course, the, there are, I mean, the other teams in the group that, that we're neglecting to mention at the moment, you know, Chelsea, Valencia, Ajax, there are some really interesting storylines there. Of course, Valencia just very recently having parted ways with with Marcelino and and their sporting director there. Ajax with you know Eric Ten Hag remaining there, but with no Frankie De Jong, no Matthijs De Ligt. Chelsea with their transfer ban, but you know seemingly flourishing with the blooding of new players. There's so much to 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 get excited about with this group and the the match days. They're all going to be very evenly matched, and with uh, as we said with the previous group, you know it's quite open to see you know who is going to really take this group by the by the scruff of the neck and and make it their own um Ajax obviously one that a club that we followed for for a long long time uh Lou you also know quite a lot about Ajax um with their style of play and their their, their previous managerial history and stuff um but I think the fact that they've kept players like Donny van der Beek and, and David Neres uh who's just signed a new contract actually they they're going to be much less peripheral figures, you know, much less the supporting casting. They're gonna be they're gonna play the lead roles. They're gonna be noticed and noted a lot more this season. Um obviously I don't think that Ajax will go as far as they did, but it's an interesting one and it's good to see them back there. It's good to see them back in the Champions League and 
and for, for consecutive seasons. And again, it's putting their their, their young players on, on on the big stage, and we can see exactly where where that can take them with with um, De Jong, De Ligt going to to Barcelona and, and Juventus, of course. Yeah. So obviously you have David Neres and Donny Van de Beek, who are already established star. Well, not stars, but they're they're established players within the Ajax group. But one of the more interesting players that I think to follow this season, especially in these opening Champions League games, will be the young American slash Dutch right back Serginho Dest. He's obviously had off coming off the back of a really strong performances at the Under Twenty World Cup, where some American fans were sort of a bit down on him because he wasn't great defensively, but he's really come in this season and he's stepped up substantially up to a level where you can't really tell that he's an 18-year-old. The way that he plays, the way that he passes, his quality on the ball is really that of what you would expect of a young Ajax player. So the way that he's come in, established himself and really stands out almost as a passer, as a technical player from right back who can help progress the ball, create chances in the final third, keep moving it quickly and consistently. He's one of my favourite young players at the moment, not least because of his quality with the ball. And I think with, with Ajax having retained their senior core as well, with you know the likes of uh, Klasian Huntelaar, Dusan Tadic, those are players that are going to help facilitate the, the easy transition of those younger players as well. With the group not being as strong as it could be, I think we we might see the potential of you know the likes of obviously Dest. I think he might play a very, I mean not a senior role but a a more starring role uh, in in the starting 11s. But we might see a lot more uh, time for the likes of Jurgen Eklund, Camp, um, even Ryan Gravenberch, and and Noah Lang. Those sorts of players, uh, or at least they're the players that I'd like to see a, a lot more of in in sort of cameo appearances. But also with with Valencia, without Marcelino, they've brought in Albert Albert Celades, whose coaching background is uh, with the Spanish youth teams. So a player that he'll be familiar with uh, is Ferran Torres, who has played quite a few games uh, for for Valencia. Now he has been in and around the first team over the past year and a bit or so, uh, and also Lee Kangin, who obviously is a is a player that we really like we've we've seen at the under 20 world cup and has also had a few little spurts and little shows uh, f- for valencia over over the past year or so but not as much as ferran but i was just wondering whether the pair of you thought that those two players will will continue to get the minutes that they deserve really uh, under celades rather than rather than marcelino now that now that he's gone I mean, it's a bit of a toss-up now, isn't it? Because we're not quite sure what what's going to happen. I mean, it was clear that Valencia players weren't happy uh, with the decision to to fire Marcelino um, to the point that none of them wanted to do the press conference with with Salades yesterday, uh, which I felt spoke the the action spoke louder than words. I mean, it's not his fault the situation, but he has a job to do now to convince these players that he's the right man for them um, and the club. But you you mentioned uh, Lee Kang-ying and and Ferran Torres. I think Valencia can sometimes be a bit uh, predictable and and stale. Uh, I mean, everyone knows what they were going to do under Marcelino. It was uh, quite a similar four four two four four one one shape, pretty much week in week out. Um, and now there's a chance to maybe spice things up a bit, give Parejo that license in the midfield to to just run games and then add the supporting cast around him. And I think Lee Kangin might, it might be a tiny bit early for him to have a, a regular starting role. But I think Ferran Torres has the potential to, to come in as a, you know, a wide player or even as the, as a centre forward striker behind Rodrigo and, and really add another dimension to this team. And I think maybe seeing as Salada's, spent time with the Spanish youth teams, he might be maybe more willing to lean on, on his young players. So hopefully that does happen because there's a, there's a few interesting players there for sure. Just, uh, just touching on some of the other groups uh, where young players might have opportunities. We've got uh, Group B, which has Bayern München, uh, Spurs, Olympiacos and Red Star Belgrade. I mean, that does 
on first viewing look as though it's a foregone conclusion as the two teams that will qualify from that group. I mean, as a result of that, I mean, Bayern, they they do have quite a few young players, interesting young players there. I was just wondering whether you thought, Lou, whether the, the likes of uh, Cuisance, who's just come in from Mönchengladbach, um, Alfonso Davis, who's been having, you know, the odd cameo here and there, uh, and, you know, Lars Lucas May, Jan Fiat Arp, Sarpreet Singh, whether they might have the opportunity to play against the likes of Olympiakos and, and Red Star. Uh, yeah, I think it's totally possible that they will draft in a few of the younger players, but we always have to remember that they'll the uh, the UEFA Youth League's running alongside it, so it will be maybe depending on how their campaign goes, the under-19s, it will depend on that, I think. But obviously, Michel Cuisance from Mönchengladbach is a player who is involved with the first team. So I'd expect him to get a few minutes at least. I think that's the least that he can get. He's one of the more talented deep-line midfielders in Europe at the moment of his age, I think. So I wasn't totally sold on the move to uh, to Bayern München. He obviously has a few attitude issues if Marco Rosa, the new Borussia Mönchengladbach coach is to be believed, which I suppose you would believe him. For his ability as a passer from deep, I think he needs to start playing now after another down season under Dieter Hecking. So I'd like to see him get a few minutes at least. Yeah, and just touching on uh, PSG uh, in Group A, there's, there might be a similar situation there for for some of their players. They, they, I mean, they had a number of injuries, and they still do have a number of injuries, as well as uh, Neymar's ban uh, by the Court of Arbitration for Sport being held up um, for for those two, opening two group games. But there is definitely uh, potential for for certain players, for, definitely for young players, to to come in uh, in in their games as, as they'll be facing Real, uh, but also Club Bruges and Galatasaray, who are obviously the two lesser sides in there. But one who I'm very interested and very excited about is uh, 17-year-old Adil Aushish, who was an absolute revelation at the under-17 uh, European Championships in the spring, where he scored uh, nine goals in five games, uh, which was just incredible. Uh, and it's even more incredible when you consider that he's playing as a number eight uh, rather than a striker, uh, but there's there's definitely uh, opportunities for for him to play. Obviously, they've got Kylian Mbappe. You know, we don't need to touch on him. Everybody knows that Dagba's injured again, but you know, there's a potential that he could he could come in for games. Um, likes of Loic and Besso, uh, Abdou Diallo, who's been playing recently as well, and and also Martin Bulka came in because uh, against FC Mets because of, of injuries to to goalkeepers as well. Uh, and, and obviously Alphonse Ariola having gone. So the, I think PSG are another one who, who who should be watched just purely because they, they might give, they, Tuchel might give opportunities to, to those young players. And definitely, my, my tip would be keep, definitely keep an eye on Ashish um, because he's, the way he finds space is, is almost innate. You know, he doesn't get dragged into the ball. And obviously that's accentuated by, uh, by playing at under 17 and under 19 level. But the fact that he's been fast-tracked to the first team when there are plenty of prospects ahead of him uh, in terms of age and, and in terms of games played, I think it speaks volumes um, and, and how much uh, Tuchel rates him. Uh, so there's definitely uh, some there's definitely something to watch in, in Ashish there. Anyway, that just about wraps up our, our Champions League coverage. Uh, but as promised, we've been taking questions over the past week uh, from some of you uh, on in reply to, to our Twitter account. And uh, we've handpicked a few of those. Uh, thank you, everyone, for sending those in. They were, I mean, they ranged quite strongly from, you know, talking about individual players to, to how we how we tend to, to watch games which are more obscure and, and where we see certain players' ceilings being and that sort of thing. But I'd just like to start off and say um, one that will involve all three of us. But this one is from Tom Pierce at PierceTom4. Uh, he asks whether we have an underrated league for top prospects to come out of. Uh, I mean, of course, there's for me personally, there's you know the Austrian Bundesliga with Erling Holland and uh, the likes of Diadi Samaseku and anyone really from, from that Red Bull Salzburg uh, conveyor belt. But Lou, I know that you're uh, a big fan of Ligue 2 and players to come out of that league, uh, in particular, a uh, certain Enzo Lefay. I was just wondering 
if you'd be able to shed a bit more light on on him as a player uh, and why why you think that Ligue 2 might be a good league for underrated prospects to come out of. Uh, yeah, so Ligue 2 has been a absolute talent pool, a really strong group of young players within the clubs playing there for a while now. And it's just constantly churning out high-level young talent up and really progressing up through to Ligue 1 and even to abroad. Uh, Enzo Lefay is another Lorient young player coming through after Alexis Claude Maurice, who's recently joined Nice. And obviously Matteo Ganduzzi, who's establishing himself for Arsenal. A really dynamic young midfielder who can, with like really nice mobility to cover ground from box to box. He's got a nice ability to find space with his back to goal and really receive on the back foot and burst out of pressure and add continuity to Lorient's attacks and just keep moving the ball. So I think he may be the next young player to come from Lorient and really establish himself at a bigger club in a bigger league. Uh, the next question is from John Nellis at Irish FI. Yeah, he asks, what is your process for profiling players? Uh, where do you begin? What part of the process do you enjoy the most? And what is your least favourite slash most tedious task when researching a player? Uh, for me personally, it, it almost always uh, comes out from from watching a player naturally or casually and they catch my eye. And, and then I think, OK, I might want to watch this player more, see see where they see how much I rate them on, on, on further viewing. Um, it's either that or I'm just looking through some stats and they'll stand out and, you know, using the old um, stats to narrow, eye test to validate belief. Uh, and then obviously you'll watch them more extensively. But I, I suppose it's more of a gradual process, uh, watching a player over a period of a few weeks or months, rather than trying to cram in as many games as possible. It's not, I feel like if I'm watching a player and it, it becomes tedious or if I'm not enjoying researching them, then it's probably there's probably a reason why that's the case uh, and a reason why I'm not that interested in, the, in them uh, in comparison to maybe another player, which could stem from them maybe not being as good as, as I expected or or just not exciting me enough. Um, I was just wondering if, if, Phil, for example, if you share that sentiment at all? Well, I think if you're writing a, a thousand words on anybody, you need to be interested in what they do. And, and you've hit the nail on the head, really. It's all about, first of all, passing the eye test and then um, then the research comes in after that. So the stats, the, the style of play. Um, but I think what's so gratifying about profiling players is that interest sticks with you. I mean, I know on the on the Twitter account, we cut players off at, at 23. But that's, you know, that's just for the, the social media that we that we do. Uh, personally, we, we follow these players throughout their careers. And that's that's the gratifying part because, you know, you, you find them when they're sort of raw young players just bursting onto the scene and then you slowly watch them develop into like fully fledged top level players, Champions League players, international players. And that's really gratifying. And I and you know, none of us are, are professionals by any means, but it just shows that if you have the eye for for talent and obviously the the numbers can back you up as well. And I think, you know, writing writing about players, that's what that's where the joy comes from. Uh, you know, seeing them progress and you know, it, they they always they don't always, um, which is which is fine. It happens to everyone, but um, it's just following the journey, which is what I enjoy the most. Um, and obviously, there are tedious bits, you know, hours of searching through the videos, and 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 you don't just learn it about the player; you learn into the teams that they play for, the managers they play under. So they are, you know, quite hefty pieces of of, of research. But I think, yeah, like I said, for me, the most gratifying part is is just watching them progress and learn and and it's you know it's really fun as well we're we're extremely lucky to do what we do and it's a huge passion for all of us so following these tournaments across the globe and 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 youth leagues and and watching out for any appearances is always good fun yes so we did take quite a few questions uh, about Erling Haaland uh, and we've narrowed it down to to two uh, this one is from at wolves iway uh, what do you see the next five years looking like for Erling Haaland? Surely with his current record, a big move will happen sooner rather than later. Um, as we've mentioned already, uh, as you'll appreciate, the, the RB Leipzig route does look as though that will be the pathway that he takes. 
Uh, and given that Nagelsmann is a big fan of of using those those tall, mobile strikers, um, it does seem sort of the, the natural progression for him. Um, like his physicality and his mobility uh, at present really marry up quite quite nicely with just his his sheer size, which which does make him that that wrecking ball of a centre forward in in a lesser league. But yeah, I think there'll be a lot more demanded of him if he went to the Bundesliga. But I, I back him to be able to to, to handle that. Uh, Lou, uh, th- there's one here from Lee Tennant uh, at Trotter Tenzo. Uh, do you think the only path Erling will take is the well-trodden route to RB Leipzig, or is, or is his game perhaps more suited to the Premier League? I think it probably is almost extremely likely that uh, Leipzig will take him from Salzburg because he's such he's such a big asset for them for them now for the Red Bull system. So I can't really see them letting go of him. And I also think, touching back on what you just said, that he's pretty much the perfect striker for the way Julian Nagelsmann plays. So obviously he likes to have tall, strong, mobile, technically proficient, but not not particularly excellent. But I think Haaland is the perfect storm of all those attributes. And I can't really see uh, Leipzig letting him go elsewhere at least not for a massive astronomical fee so I think it's pretty likely that he does go to Leipzig uh, Our next question uh, is from at football Gaitan so I'm presuming he's called Gaitan uh, what's more important for a talented prospect at age 19-20 play in a smaller competition but play every game or play for a big club in a big competition but only get 20 minutes game time every week uh, I mean for me personally I definitely always back playing regular football I mean, we've spoke about Haaland a lot. You can use him as an example. Someone like Tammy Abraham as well. Uh, you just look how many players come from the championship in England after a 46-game season and then end up staking their claim as, as regular Premier League starters. Tammy is the extreme version of that because he's hit the ground running in an obscene way. But the, I'd say their experience of regular football, even if it is at a lower level, readies them for a higher level um, if they're good enough. I think Dom Solanke's a cautionary tale on that one. You know, he's played 35, 36 games in the Premier League for Chelsea, Liverpool, Bournemouth. Yeah, they've been bigger clubs in a bigger league, but he's produced little output. And I mean, that's mainly because he's been a sub and it's not because he's a bad player, because he isn't. He's obviously very talented. But say, for example, if he'd spent two years in the Championship like Tammy Abraham has done, he would have scored goals there. And I think among the general public, he'd be a lot more highly rated. I mean, I don't know if you've got any more thoughts on, on that, Phil. Uh, but I mean, that's just that's just my my two cents on that. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, regular football will always trump twenty minute cameos at the end of games, regardless of of the standard you're playing in. And funnily enough, I do think players are realizing that now. Before, if you were you know a bright talent at a Premier League club, you sort of bide your time um, and and hope to break through into the first team. But now you're gradually seeing players 18, 19 think, well, you know, I feel like I'm good enough to play. Um, and even if it's not at this club, then maybe going down a level will help me in the longer term. I mean, it, it, just using Arsenal as an, as an example, you can see Ismail Benacer, uh, Jeff Ren Adelaide and Daniel Marlin, who all left in the last three years, having not quite broken through after impressing at youth level, and now they're at three of the biggest clubs in Europe, in Milan, Lyon and and PSV. So, you know, it, it just shows you that wherever you are, who you're being coached by, the standard of play around you, it will always be second best to regular football. And you use Tammy Abraham as an example as well. Mason Mount, you know, loan at, at Derby did in wonders last year. Uh, even James Madison, who who was at Coventry, then Norwich, and he he's doing really well at Leicester. I mean, these are just a, a few examples of of players that are, have improved significantly based on playing regularly because that's when you do your learning, right? You're, you're thrown in at the deep end and you're expected to find solutions to, to difficult situations and that's how you learn, not just in football, but in any job. So to answer the question, I think it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with with training and learning around, you know, these amazing players and under these top quality managers but regular, regular football will always be the best uh, way to learn. Just to finish uh, the question section now, uh, we've had a lot of people asking who our breakout player would be. 
uh, in the Champions League this season. Um, and I just wanted to get one from each of us um, who our breakout player would be. Uh, for me, it's uh, João Felix because uh, he he's obviously playing at uh, Atletico Madrid now. Uh, didn't play in the Champions League last year with Benfica, but tore it up. Um, I think he's going to be fantastic there. He's been sensational so far. Uh, maybe not in terms of the, the goals and assists return, but in terms of his movement, his chance creation, that sort of thing. Um, it's it's all very encouraging. But I just wanted to get your two, uh, your two shouts for who might be your uh, breakout player in the Champions League this year. Uh, for me personally, I was, you know, there's always a few on the radar. Uh, you know, there's Kai Havertz, obviously Jadon Sancho, but probably going to go a bit left field and say Danny Olmo. Uh, you know, we've profiled him in, in the book um, before, you know, we've tracked his progress over the summer and he's had an incredible start to the season. And, you know, he's in a he's in a tough group. You know, there's obviously City who are who are the juggernauts in that group. But Shakhtar, Atalanta and, and Dinamo are sort of vying for that next best place. And I think he could really lead by example for that Dinamo side. So he's my he's my he's my choice. Yeah, I think I'll go even more left field than Phil did and I'll return to Lille and I'll say Boubakari Samare, uh, another young midfielder who's starting to break into the team this season, even though that he's been involved in the past two seasons. But especially in that group where he'll be up against young players and he'll be able to impose himself, I think, on games, on the way that Lille play. And... He'll be a fun player to follow in the way that he moves in midfield. He's strong strong and mobile under pressure. He can pass well with the outside of his foot, inside of his foot. He's really he's a dynamic midfielder, and I think he's one that I would tip for a breakout season. Well, that just about finishes things for us this week. Uh, thank you to both Phil and Lou for joining me on this one. Um, I think it's been a fantastic episode to record. I, I hope that you enjoy listening to it. Thank you for tuning in once again. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever it is, please do leave a review. Please do leave us feedback. We always love to find out how we can improve. Yeah, thank you for sending in your questions as well. Uh, thank you for tuning in. This has been the Scouted Football Podcast and hope to see you again soon. Bye-bye.